across this congregation and beyond, I pray, God, that you would meet needs that are represented. There are physical needs. There's healing. There's difficult things that we face, and you're big enough for whatever it is in our life. God, there are emotional needs. There's sadness. There's grief. Lord, there are questions. I ask, God, that you would be our wisdom, that you would be our comfort, you would be our answer, that we would come to you for wisdom. And God, spiritually, I pray that we would constantly live our lives before you, that you are our God, that we would walk in faith, trusting that not only have you brought us to salvation, but you're taking us further and deeper into this holy living in a day when there's not really holiness. It's not a word that is sort of part of our everyday language, and yet, God, you've called us to be like you. So we're going to have to trust you and give ourselves to you. So we lift you up this morning. May you be praised. Help me as I break the word this morning. Be with Kim and her team as they break the word to our kids and minister to them this morning, and they have their children's church. May you be glorified in this place. Thank you for who you are and what you've done in us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Lord bless you. I want to start out by sharing a praise with you. We, uh, we are so proud of what God is doing in the parkway, right? In Amherst View, through Pastor Dusty and the team that are there. I want to tell you, he published last week just a praise that to date, they, uh, they started last May, right? Uh, May 1st was their official date. They've had uh, three salvations, six baptisms, and they've averaged 119 people over all those weeks. And I want to tell you one of the stories that he shared that was especially meaningful to me, but for obvious reasons. There is a, a lady last week who accepted Jesus. She prayed and, and invited Christ into her life. And uh, the reason this, and I'm going to tell you about that, but the reason it was so meaningful to me is this lady actually was brought to our Christmas musical by one of the attenders at the parkway and afterwards made a point of introducing her to me and she specifically said, I listened to what you talked about at the end of the musical and I'm not, I'm not ready to do that. And we talked about it, and I, and, uh, I just said, you know what, you, you continue. You obviously have a seeker heart, you continue. Well, last week, her friend, who had brought her to the musical, last week at the Parkway, she went to her friend and said, how are you doing? Have you made that step? And she goes, last week, I prayed the prayer of salvation. Now, this was last week, so it's the week before she's talking about Richard Wellsman, actually spoke at the parkway that Sunday. It's the very first Sunday that Dusty had not spoken since the beginning, and at the end, he gave an opportunity. And she prayed that prayer. Nobody knew. The next week, how are you doing? I prayed that prayer last week. Well, Dusty said there were three or four ladies that were standing around this lady, and she had said it out loud, and they all heard, and they went, fantastic, and they they surrounded her, and they were hugging her, and they were praying for her, and she started with Jesus. We cannot even begin to imagine the power. The Bible says that when one person comes to repentance, the angels of heaven throw a party. It says the angels of heaven rejoice, and we rejoice that we can just play a little part in that of saying, God, thank you that we've been able to participate with what your Holy Spirit is doing. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. That's fantastic. 
May it happen again and again and again and again. Praise the name of the Lord. Last week I began to preach to you or speak to you about what it means to please God. And I shared a story with you from uh, John Bevere. He was talking about sitting at the table with his four boys. And they spoke to their boys and they said, guys, they were uh, 16 to 22, I believe. He said, we love you. Your mother and I love you, and there is nothing you can do to make us love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make us love you less. And he says, we let it sit there with the boys for a little while, just the security of knowing the love of a father. And I know that that may not be all of our story, but God is a good, good father. He said, I let that sink in with my boys. And he said, then, he said, I turned the conversation a bit, and I said, however, boys... You're in charge of how pleased your mom and I are with you. And that was the launch pad for us to begin to wrestle with the issue of God's unconditional love for us. And yet the fact that we can bring displeasure, we can bring a smile to the face of the Lord, or we can bring hurt to the Lord. And the whole issue of what it means to please God without somehow entering into this works thing as if we could please them. So so there's so many diametrically opposed concepts, paradoxes in Scripture, that we could please God. How would you please God who created it all? What could you possibly give to a God who has everything? Do you have somebody in your life that you can't buy gifts for at Christmas because they have everything? What can you give to a God who has everything? How can you please God? And yet, he takes pleasure in us, his children. And we're going to continue in this vein. We want to begin to unpack what does it mean to bring pleasure to God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, the Apostle Paul. So we make it our goal. We make it our aim or our ambition to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So it's natural for us to want to please someone that we're in relationship with us. It's natural for us to want to please someone, especially someone who died for us, who gave himself for us. Praise the Lord. Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers was that they would please God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I want you to see how significant it is that it ends, we're growing in the knowledge of God. This is about relationship. We have to understand it's about relationship. I, I did a funeral just lately, and the family was very careful to tell me that the deceased was not religious. Now, I always have this, um, I always have this, as a pastor, when somebody says they're not religious, I always have this come up. I always want to say, well, I'm not religious either. I want to say that. And Don even laughs at me. I don't usually say it. I did one time. I was, I was giving blood at the blood clinic, and the guy beside me, we had a good old chat as the blood's pumping out of our body. And, and, uh, and he said, I'm not religious. And, and I said it, and I didn't say it with any motive other than I go, I'm not either. And even as I said it, he looks at me like, okay, you're open. 
you're a pastor. Come on. So, so he has a context, of course, that he's, that he's saying by religious. But what I would give us as qualification this morning is that religion is man's effort to reach God. But see, the, the reality of the gospel is Jesus reached us. You see, that's the reality of the gospel. He reached us. And so at the end here, he says, in the knowledge of God, it's about getting to know Jesus. It's about relationship. It's, it's about walking in fellowship. Religion becomes rituals and tasks and projects and mental pursuits and we can get to heaven and say God I was really religious and I need to be led into heaven now and he goes religion are you kidding me did you have a relationship with Jesus Um, how important in the knowledge of God please him in every way it says bearing fruit in every good work in the knowledge of God because if you work backwards it's as we get to know the Lord taste and see the psalmist said that the Lord is good as we get to know the Lord that's what bears fruit that's what begins to form the character of Christ in us is walking in the relationship with the Lord we can grieve the heart of God like a child who we love, and nothing could ever take that love away. But there can be sadness imprinted on a parent's heart, and we can hurt the heart of God. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of of redemption. We have the Holy Spirit. He walks with us. He lives in us. And he is our hope. He gives us the hope. And he gives us the power to walk and to be. Okay, so we're to please God. We know that salvation is not earned by us doing things. The Bible's really clear in that, right? It says it's not of works. Nobody can boast. There's nothing we can do to say, God, see, I've got myself cleaned up enough for you. Now you, sh- you ought to save me now. He loves us. His grace is there in abundance for us. This week, we want to begin to wrestle with the issue of how to please God. And I'm going to start by talking about John uh, chapter 6. And it's an episode in the life of Jesus, John chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, Jesus crossed to the far shore. Do we have, or did we have a little problem there? I saw some blipping on the screen. Yeah, let's put it up. Thank you, Chris. Doing a good job there. Um, John chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, so Jesus, he crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I put a map there so that you would see. He probably went to the, the, um, to the west, um, east side, <laughs> to the right side. <laughs> because we know that he goes to Capernaum up there on on the left. We know he he goes there in the evening of this story. Okay, so I'll I'll quit giving directions because obviously I'm directionally challenged this morning. Okay, so Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Okay, so it sort of just really sets the motive. The paparazzi are out. 
things, lights are flashing, things are happening, miracles are happening, and everybody's running to see it. When there's a fire burning, they want to see a fire burn, right? So that's what's happening, and they come. So what does Jesus do? Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples. And so for, so for fun, if you want to put that next slide up there, Chris, I decided on my, my cool computer program to take a little slice of that shore of the Sea of Galilee, and lo and behold, the topography tells us there are mountains there. Go figure. And he went up on the mountain and he began to teach them. And this is when he performs the miracle of feeding. And it gives us the number later on. They counted 5,000 men. So it was plus women and children. So he fed thousands of people from virtually, well, five loaves, five loaves and two fish, right? I think it is in the, in, in the story. So he, he teaches them, he feeds them. There's this miracle that happens. And then it tells us in verse 16, which you don't have before you, evening comes. So Jesus and his disciples, they get back in the boats and they cross back over the Sea of Galilee toward Capernaum. All right, so then, verse 22, we're told the next day that boats land near the feeding miracle location. And so they're, so I'm, I'm assuming, we're not told this, but you can't keep this kind of news down. I mean, the fame, we know this, the fame of Jesus is spreading. So people come, and they're looking for Jesus, and they come across from Tiberias, across, and they find out that Jesus had left the night before. So what do they do? They jump in their boats, and they head back across to Capernaum to find Jesus, and they find him. Okay, so here we are. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus immediately exposes their motives for finding him. And this is what he says. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Now listen. I know a good free lunch when I see a good free lunch. I, you know, I, I'm a free lunch kind of guy. It's funny. I've, I've been at funerals where... The uh, come, I say, so how are you connected? And they say, well, I'm just here for the lunch. <laughs> I, just, I, I never tell on them. I just offer them another sandwich. I just go with it. So he said, because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, not because they understood who he was. He was beginning to show who he was. This is the son of man, the son of man, representing the messianic promise of the one who would come, who would be Messiah to set the people free. He said, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. And, and if I could just pause here to say, this is a really important statement for us. We all have to live. On the Monday mornings of our life, we need to live. Making money and supporting our families, those are important things. Uh, having food on our tables, those are important things. But Jesus is setting a, a priority here when he says, don't be so concerned about the perishable things when there are eternal things that are being prepared to be put on your plate if you will prepare for them. And so it takes my mind to Matthew six thirty three. but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all all these things will be given to you as well. So it, it, it informs my calendar. It informs my 
my daily agenda. It informs me about what I spend my time thinking about. That, yes, there are things that we need to do, and they're not wrong things, but we need to do the better things instead of just the good things. God has better things. And he said, spend your time, spend your energies seeking the eternal. Okay, so then somebody from the crowd, they ask him a question. Was this a sincere question? Was it a deflective question? I don't know, but this is what they say, verse 28. What must we do to do the works that God requires? So, okay, not just physical food. Uh, We want to do what God wants us to do. What is it, Jesus? What is it that God requires? And Jesus says this in verse 29. The work of God is this. And could you say these last, those bottom two lines with me? To believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. So, Oh, I, I, we want a project. You know, I don't know. Husbands, you, some, everybody's different, but every once in a while, you just need a project. Uh, Don and I, we go shopping together once in a while, and I'm, I'm, as, as a guy, I'm a pretty good shopper in terms of staying power. Don's got staying power times staying power. Don's the winner of staring, staying power. I can tell you stories. So I just need, I'm project orientation a little bit. So I just said, Don, what do you need me to hunt for? Okay, I got to go hunting, and I'll go hunt for something. And in in the in the stream of even grocery shop, I will have done several trips back to where she is with this. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And I go back and forth. I do that. Well, anyway, so um, I don't have a clue where I am on this thing, but anyway, um, <laughs> pro projects. Give us a project. We want a project. Give us something to do. Thank you, dear. Give us something to do. And Jesus says, this is your work. This this is really, really important. Believe. Believe in the one. Believe. Believe, believe. You've got to believe. And so their response, what's their first response? So let's look at it. John chapter 6, verse 30. Their very first response What miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? What will you do? And so immediately they go from, this is your work. You have a homework assignment. Your homework assignment is to go inward because we want to do outward. We want to do everything in the world sometimes except go to the place where it really counts. We want to do something. That's, you know, I go back to David. David said, if it, if, it were the, if it was about burnt offerings, I would have done it. There's so many, but what God wanted was a, a, a contrite heart, a broken spirit, that we have to go inward. And sometimes that's so painful. But, but God has to take us there. He has to take us there. And, and so they asked the question, they, they ask the question, what miraculous sign will you give? So Jesus, what, what trick are you going to do for us now? We want another trick. Do something else for us so that we can just, so we can believe. And then they start asking this question, our forefathers ate manna in the desert. And so it's sort of like, well, okay, do a miracle like that. No, you've got to remember, this is the day after he has performed the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. So you get the context here. Do a miracle like that that Moses did in the desert and we got manna and it's the day after he just fed them all. It's so ridiculous. And Jesus says, I love this in verse 32. I don't think you have this on your screen. You don't. Jesus says, first of all, 
Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. No, I love that. <laughs> I just love that because he wasn't going to let them rob his father of the glory of the miracle of what happened back in manna. First off, they had the story wrong. He says, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. My father did. He was, he was jealous for the father. And now, Jesus goes on to say, he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to, life to the world. And so, someone speaks up. Verse 34, now give us this bread. Are they being sincere or not sincere? There's sort of, you can go back and forth on that, but someone says, now give us this bread. And Jesus says then in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. I, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is our bread. He's our bread. You can run out of a lot of things in your pantry, but when you run out of bread, you know you've hit really hard times. I mean, that's sort of the general way that the world has thought about bread because it's sort of that representative of that very sustenance. At least, you know, when they, they talk about uh, camps or all the, but they have bread and water, right? you know, the, the absolute. I'm the bread. To the woman at the well, Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I give you will never thirst again. I'm your drink. I'm your, I'm your food. As long as you have bread, you won't go hungry. And Alpha, last Tuesday night, it was, it was speaking about who is Jesus. And one of the comments that was made by, in the video portion of our evening, it was about most teachers point to someone else. Most teachers are pointing to someone, but Jesus comes along and he's, he's pointing to himself. The audacity that either he is who he said he was, or, you know, lunatic or savior, because he's pointing to himself, I am the son of man, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the bread of life. And so he says to them, but as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. How many more thousand would I have to, to provide lunch for? How many more healings would I have to do? His answer to their question about what they should do was your work. You've you got to work at believing. You have to work at believing. So today we want to look at how to please God. And, and the first one, and we're not going to get much past that really, but the first one is faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Um, when we put the next scripture up there, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, this was not a really intelligent thing for your pastor to come up with this morning because it says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith pleases God because he who comes to him must believe that he exists, number one, and two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek. Seek after the Lord with all your heart and he will be found by you as the promise of scripture. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. You've you got to know that he exists. I mean, that's just sort of foundational. But that he rewards those who seek him. That he can be found by you. And then of Hebrews 11 is what we call the faith chapter, which we're not going to stay there, but it's just person after person after person. What was it that made them pleasurable to God? It was their faith. 
I mean, some of them were well-known. Some of them were fairly obscure. Some of them did amazing feats and led thousands of people like Moses. And you got other people like Enoch who sort of lived in somewhat of an obscurity comparatively. But it says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life and he was commended as one who pleased God. And they all had one thing in common. They had faith. God commends faith. So I want to give you a definition. Faith is a moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. A little bit dictionary here for a second, but it's, it's a moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. It's from a word that means to assent to evidence and authority. To assent to it. To, to give in to it. I give up. I say yes. Yes. To rely, agree, believe, have confidence, trust, and yield. It's to yield. It's not just to give a mental assent to. It's, it's to yield to. I'm in. I'm in. See, that's, that's the difference because the Bible says that even the demons of hell believe and are not saved. Do they have faith, not saving faith? A mental assent that he's, he's there is not a buy-in to say, I, I submit to, I yield to. A complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Faith is a controversial subject because we want to be given something to do. We, we want something more tangible and faith, it, it rests in the spirit of us. The very nature of a miracle. You know, if someone ever says to you, well, you know, Christianity is not logical, you can just sit, go, right? Yeah, right? That's right. Miracles, they're not logical. That's the definition of a miracle. The definition of a miracle is an extraordinary, extraordinary event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws. <laughs> so the very, the very definition of a miracle means it's outside of the realm of the capabilities that we have. From our five senses, faith will not always make sense. What Jesus did was not always logical. Loving us was not logical. The resurrection is not logical. Everybody I know dies sooner or later. Everybody. But, but it's reasonable. We, we don't believe in a faith that is sort of this blind faith in faith business. And we're going to talk about what it really means to have faith. But we know that everyone dies. So think about the reasonableness of it. Even though the, the resurrection is illogical, well, we have to look at the facts. Where was the body of Jesus? Why did the disciples go to their deaths claiming that he rose again? You would think at least one of them would have caved on that particular really important issue. What do we do with all the eyewitnesses' accounts about him? How has the power of the resurrection changed millions of lives today? And there's like two billion people on the, world, in the earth that, that call themselves Christian. Paul said, we look through a glass darkly. You see, faith is, as it says in the beginning of Hebrews, is the substance of things not seen. We can't see it all. There's a, we are spirit, soul, and body. We can't see our spirit. Oh, we sure can feel it. But we can't see our spirit. We can't see heaven, but it's our home. It's our citizenship is there. How? It's because we put faith. And it's not faith in faith. I really hope that something's going to happen next year. And so I hope it so much 
that I'm putting my faith in my hope, so now I know it's going to happen. Duh. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's fanciful thinking. Faith is in substance. And the Bible says faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not an elusive force like like Star Wars. It's in a person, the person of Christ. Uh, Faith is not a one-time event. Jesus compared it to if you have faith like a mustard seed. Faith is growing. It's continuing. It becomes part of us. Part of us. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not on the feeling list. Now I want you to hear that. That's actually quite profound, but faith is not a feeling. It's a choice. And it's not a choice just in, well, I'm, I'm going to believe this then. Okay, I'm going to believe this. In. It's, 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 it's an informed choice that God brings us to the place where we, we take the step of faith and we say, I believe in the person who is shown himself to be reliable. And so the problem with the Jews of Jesus' time is they constantly asked for a sign, yet there wasn't anything big enough for them because their problem wasn't more signs. Their problem is that they would not choose him. The Pharisees, they wouldn't choose him. They wouldn't choose him. They they would not believe There was willfulness as opposed to emotion. God calls us to choose to place our faith in Christ. And where there is no faith, there is no relationship with God. God is love. God is a spirit. We are a spirit. We commune with him in spirit. The worshipers, Jesus said to the woman at the well that I'm looking for, are worshipers that will worship me in spirit and in truth. And it is by faith. And this becomes the stumbling block to so many. But we can place our faith in he who is reliable. It is reasonable, even though half of what Jesus does to our small minds is illogical. It's, it's reasonable. Will you choose to place your faith? A few more scriptures. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The righteous will live by faith. So not only are we saved by faith through grace, it is the gift of God. We're saved by faith, but we live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. I can't get to heaven without faith. I need Jesus. Because it's he who paved the way for me to get to heaven. I have found in my life, and it's taken me a long time to struggle through this because there's been discouragements that have so gripped me and kept me bound in some old sins and habits. But as God has been uh, setting me free, I have found that it is he that will set us free from the sins that hold us. It's, it's a person. It's not a pursuit or a project um, it's, it's the person of Christ. That's why it's always about the knowledge of Christ. In Hebrews 10 it says, and my righteous ones will live by faith and I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. It, it's a walk of faith. We're only going to live above sin because of faith. 
faith in Jesus. I, I love what Steve Deneff, he, I've been watching some of his stuff lately, and he's a wonderful preacher and teacher down in Indiana. Indiana and he just said, as he talked about blind Bartimaeus, that beggar who sat along the road, and they were all trying to, sh- trying to shush him, because he kept yelling all the louder when Jesus was going by, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Steve Deneff said, I have put a habit in my life that every morning I wake up and before I put my feet on the floor, I say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I've been trying that lately. I'll tell you what, it just blesses me every morning. I've been doing it these last week. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My life is in you. My ability to walk to be, to become, to be effective, to have this fruit of the Spirit that you've promised, the gifts working in our life to lead, it comes from you, Lord Jesus, Son of David. Have mercy on me. Faith is a necessary ingredient for believers. It is not only necessary for initial salvation, it's necessary for our daily walk. My confidence lies in Christ. Where I spend eternity, it lies in Christ. My ability to live above sin, it lies in Christ. My ability to be effective, it lies in Christ. He said, I am the true vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, is what it says. And we're going to go now to the Lord's table in front of me this morning. In front of me are the elements of communion. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And it says he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. See, this was a change in protocol, right? Because the Passover was about them coming out of Egypt. It was also looking forward to the Messiah who would bring them to greater out of Egypt of life. And now the Messiah is sitting amongst them. He breaks the bread. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. He lifts the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood that is spilled for you. They looked through heaven to find someone who would pay the price because the Bible says the way that, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. It said the wage of sin is death. And so there's an entire planet who have all inherited Adam's sin. And there's no one good, no, not one, There's no one who is flawless. They are all under the sentence of the law, which is if it's broken even at one point, you're guilty of the entire law. Well, officer, I know I was speeding, but but I didn't cheat on my taxes last week. So therefore, you really shouldn't give me a ticket because I was speeding. When you've broken one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking the law. (laughs) And they looked for someone in heaven. Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll pay it. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we're humbled because we couldn't pay. We could, there was nothing we could do. And Jesus came and he lived. He became a man. He took on himself human form. 
And he became obedient to death. He who is eternal became, according to Philippians, Paul's letter to them, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Hebrews tells us, we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unaware, but he sympathizes with us because he's been tempted in every way just like we are tempted. He experienced humanity, but he lived above it because of the power of the Heavenly Father because he was God. He lived a sinless life so that he could be the lamb. They would bring the lambs and the rams and they would bring them to the priest to be inspected because you had to bring the best. It had to have certain requirements. And if your lamb didn't meet the requirements, you had to go get another lamb that would be killed, bloodshed, that was the representation of of pain, because somebody's got to pay. And Jesus was the Lamb of God that was acceptable. The only one. And so when we take the bread and we take the drink, we are declaring that God was our sacrificial lamb. And he took our place so that we don't have to. The consequence that the Bible says comes with sin is death. And we don't have to pay the consequence that we actually deserve based on the severity and the unmovableness of the law. And Jesus set us free. And so this morning, we're going to partake of communion. And we're going to lift the bread and we're going to lift the cup. And when we take that bread and we take that drink, we are reminded that Jesus died for us and it's a really humbling thing to even have somebody buy you a free lunch, let alone shed their blood for you so that you can live. And that's what he did for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You were bought with a price, he says. Do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? So therefore, offer your bodies to God. You're not your own. You belong to him. In other words, why wouldn't we want to please God who paid it? He paid the bill. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we partake of communion today, would you raise within us a desire to please you? Not from some kind of a self-righteousness, some kind of a good works that we're going to conjure up on our own, but Lord, Starting off with faith, our work is to believe. Our work is to choose, God, to put our faith in you because it is you who makes us. It is you who builds us. Lord, this discipleship process is of you as we surrender to you in faith. And so, God, today, meet us, I pray, with thanksgiving that wells up from deep within us when we consider who you are, what you've done. And Lord, there may be somebody here today who's never taken this step and today is the day of salvation for them. If you're here today and you've never taken the step of faith, the Bible says to those who received him, to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Receive him and believe faith and we give ourselves to him. Heavenly Father, be with that person who wants to pray today from their heart, a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I invite you
into my life. I place my faith in you. Thank you that you are God and thank you that you loved me and thank you that you died for me and today I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I'm placing my faith in you to live a new life under your lordship, your headship. And God, if somebody prayed that prayer, I ask that you would invade their space with peace and help them to have an assurance in their heart that they have been given the right to be called a child of God and this communion will mean something more than they could have ever dreamed because of what you've done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.